see. We're going to get the call here. We're getting the right call. That's all that matters. After review, good goal. Good goal. After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got a goal. All right, guys, welcome back to episode four here of Rangers Review. Myself, Tyler from Warty NHL, obviously, and we also have staff boy Steven, of course. Steven, first of all, how are you doing today? Uh, you guys can see right up here, we have plenty to discuss breaking news right before we start recording. So it's perfect timing, at least. I'm glad this is happening now versus, say, later in the day after Steve and I have recorded this episode already. So, Steven, how are you before we get into what is going to be a very crazy episode? I'm doing doing all right. You know, Rangers have not been uh, the luckiest team in the NHL, but they're in games. So, you know, at least the games are fun to watch. So, Yeah, I know. And I would like to give a huge shout out to you because if you don't recall, last episode I asked you, what is your prediction for the upcoming week of games? And you said of the next three, one, one, and one. Well, the Rangers do go one, one, and one. And all close game fashion per usual. So hats off to you, Steven. You nailed that on the head. But if you guys don't know, if you haven't seen our previous episodes, we normally do a breakdown of the Rangers' previous games for the past week. That's why we do it around Sunday or Monday. And then we'll take a look at the game's upcoming, just deep diving everything in between and any news that happens with the Rangers in the process. And we have plenty of news to discuss, by far the most that we have done thus far. So let's just dive right in. Tony D'Angelo. Before we get to the games, there's something we need to talk about. Yes. Tony D'Angelo has been put on waivers by the New York Rangers, according to Elliot Freeman. Just absolutely insane right now. I'm I'm trying to wrap my head around why this makes and doesn't make sense. Only time will tell once we figure out. But this is this is just insane. This is beyond jaw dropping. No one expected this to happen. And you have to wonder, okay, what is the reasoning for this? Because we will expand on this later, and I think we will kind of transition to it because I'll have a graphic to show too regarding Vince Dunn, because there's been a lot of talk with the St. Louis Blues defenseman on his way out of St. Louis. So the question here for us, Stephen, though, is why did the Rangers do this ever as of right now? What any further information might come out after we record? What do you think is the meaning behind this? Because I again, like we said pre-recording i have a couple ideas as to why this would make sense and i have ideas as to why this would make absolutely zero sense so let me know your initial thoughts okay so i know that there is a large part of the fan base that doesn't like tony d'angelo but i don't think what's happening today is based on what we already know um if his previous behavior was the reason it would have happened earlier uh the fact that the rangers put him on waivers now in my opinion points at something disciplinary, something must have happened, something that the Rangers cannot uh, work through, something that is too big to to, to push aside uh, or to brush off. Uh, D'Angelo signed a two-year extension last summer, 4.8 million uh, AAV. So he is a player that is, you know, that was going to be part of their team for the upcoming two years. And, 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 even if it isn't disciplinary, it has to be something cap related. The Rangers trying to clear some cap, in which case it would really shock me that they cannot get anything of value for a player like D'Angelo. I know there's a there's a flat cap, and I know a lot of teams are having problems staying under the cap. Um, so he might not even be claimed, and maybe that's what the Rangers are counting on. Maybe the Rangers are counting on D'Angelo clearing waivers because of his cap hit. Because when you look at the teams that have the cap space to make a claim. Um, the teams with the cap space to claim him straight up are San Jose, Detroit, New Jersey, Los Angeles, and Ottawa. Not really teams that are in it to win it. 
Um, and then you have three more teams that are, should be able to uh, afford him if you include LTIR cap relief, which is St. Louis, Columbus, and Chicago. St. Louis and Columbus are interesting, I guess, because, of course, St. Louis lost Petrangelo. Of course, they added uh, Tory Krug. But maybe if they feel that they can use D'Angelo for two years and get him free off of waivers, that will be a really good get for them. Um, uh, Columbus with Tortorella might not be the best fit for him. Uh, and I don't, I don't see Chicago making a claim. So there's a pretty good chance that, that no team is putting in a claim for D'Angelo. We'll know more uh, tomorrow because the waiver wire is 24 hours. It's always at noon. So tomorrow by noon, Monday by noon, we will know if he was claimed or not. Okay. Yeah, no, I think that's very important too. And as we were talking about before we start recording, how the waiver wire works, obviously, is the teams from the ranking, the standings this past season. So first among the list would be Ottawa in, regard, in regards to a team that could, uh, Detroit, I should say, the Red Wings, that could realistically claim him without there being any real financial issues. Then you're looking at other teams as well, like the LA Kings and then the New Jersey Devils. Which team comes first between those two, the Devils or the Kings? Um, I, I think I think the Devils could make a claim for him. Uh, oh they, no, I was asking more so of like the standings wise. Do you recall? Oh. Uh, well, you would have to go back to last season standings because let me quickly explain how the waiver wire works because there's a lot of confusion about this every year. Yeah. Um, so the waiver uh, order is is based on on current seasons, current standings in the season at a reverse order except for the first month of the season. The first month of the season, they look at the season standings from last season. So if you go by point percentage, um, the, in order, the first five teams that can put a claim in are Detroit, Ottawa, San Jose, LA, Anaheim. And New Jersey would be sixth. Buffalo would be seventh. Uh, Montreal would be eighth. The other thing regarding waiver claims that I quickly want to explain is that once you successfully claim a player off waivers, you don't move to the bottom of the list. That's something that only exists in fantasy sports. But in, in real sports, the waiver wire doesn't change when you successfully claim a player. Just wanted to explain that as well. Okay. All right. So I think just from the forefront from seeing this, there are a couple of teams that stand out to me that could claim him, if at all. Again, only time will tell. So we're going to have more possibly to talk about soon. But you'd have to look at... The Kings as a possibility just because they're kind of in this retool slash rebuild. They have Drew Doughty on that line as we know, but they still have a lot of up-and-coming defensive prospects that are not with the team yet as we know. Similar to the Rangers in a lot of ways. So it would not be outlandish for me at least to see Tony possibly going his way to the Kings. The Devils make a lot of sense too just for destination reasons more than anything when you look at it because obviously tony being from um new jersey himself and it wouldn't be a bad fit there but they do have their puck moving defenseman that being in david Se- uh seamerson uh seberson to an extent pk suban is still there and they have ty smith who's on the come up looking like a very promising power play quarterback so realistically hold on yeah lindy ruff who's the head coach in new jersey has worked with d'angelo for the last oh, few years yes that's true so there could that could be a connection you know we saw with jack johnson coming the rangers begin with when martin and obviously jd um so that is another factor to consider it would really be um not a great look if you ask me if tony does get claimed by the devils just because i you know that's going to come back to bias in one way or the other just because he's going to have a fire under him like no tomorrow regardless of how you feel about his defensive game the likelihood is that it's just gonna you know 
something's probably going to happen there. I find it hard to believe he won't. He had his best career game against the Devils last season, if you guys don't remember yet. I think five points and then a hat trick mm-hmm. in the process. Um, so, Tony, it's very interesting. Um, he may very well not get claimed. And then he goes to the taxi squad as of now. So that would be an interesting story for him if that happens. But I'm left from wondering here. If, if this is a dis, disciplinary reason and we don't have the answers yet, then okay. Then clearly it was something to the degree more than likely that it warranted dropping him like this. Because it would be very bizarre for this to happen without some type of immediate reasoning as to like, okay, this is crossing the line per se. Or is this a situation going in hand with um, with having, um, pardon me, with uh, Vince Dunn, for instance. And we're going to segue on to Vince Dunn a little bit too. Because a couple of days ago, if you guys don't know, I did a video on Vince Dunn, the Rangers. This is a player that a lot of Ranger fans, including myself for a while, were manifesting. Try and put it out there in existence for the Rangers to either try to offer sheet during the offseason while he was still a pending RFA and dealing with some contract negotiations with the Blues. Or possibly going down the trade route for him. Uh, up and coming 24-year-old defenseman. For the St. Louis Blues that has his defensive woes as well, but still plenty of upside. He scored last night at the time of recording this too. He's on his way out. The Blues are looking like they want to ship him off. Plenty of suitors. And the Rangers are looking like that they are one of the teams interested in him. We're waiting to find out some further information. I know that um, you have written for um, Forever Blue shirts before. I know last night, at least they were saying how there could very well possibly be something coming out regarding uh, Vince Dunn and the Rangers connection today. So again, that'll be a to be continued type situation, but that is a possible reason as well for the Rangers who basically want to bring Dunn in, but also, which doesn't make too much sense to me, but it could at the end of the day, the Rangers make no sense here to drop Tony D if it is for the sake of just dropping him and freeing up salary, because that mm-hmm. would make absolutely no sense. Tony D still has trade value at this point in his career. He had plenty over the past year, like going into the offseason, as we know. So that is a head scratcher move that only time is going to dictate. But if the Rangers are possibly going down a trade route currently in which they need to free up salary and the type of trade that they're looking for, Tony D would not be a part of it then that could even make further sense for warranting, okay, you put him on waivers, you're not dealing with that contract, you want to get rid of it, and you're trying to make a trade happen for possibly a top six, if not top nine center, but you know the team either can't afford Tony D's contract or simply wouldn't want Tony D in this type of deal. So that's another hypothetical. Again, I'm just trying to figure out all the reasons as to why this could happen before we actually find out why it happened. But uh, do you want to expand on any of that further in regards to Tony? Well, what... What worries me is that this is not the first time a two-year extension is cut short. Um, as you remember, uh, Vlad Nemesnikov signed a two-year extension when he was acquired in a trade uh, with uh, for McDonough and Miller. And a couple of weeks after he signed that two-year extension, he was traded for a fourth-round pick to Ottawa. So not a good look on the Rangers organization uh, and Jeff Gordon as a general manager um, so yeah, let's, let's, we have to wait and see what's, what's the story behind this. Cause like I said, if it was something that we already know about, I think this would have, this would, this would have been done sooner. Um, but something must've happened. Uh, a team doesn't walk away from a player like D'Angelo who was top five in points amongst defensemen a year ago and is signed for two more years. He's still an RFA when his current contract expires. So there's a, a there's a cost controlled asset where the team has the leverage, you know, there, there has to be something that happened uh, that we just don't know about yet that might be announced later today or, or tomorrow. Um, but if Tony D'Angelo clears, 
uh, if it is for cap reasons, it doesn't solve anything for the Rangers because you send them down to the to the taxi squad and you only clear one point zero five million. Yeah, so you, it's nothing drastic. It's less than one point one million that you clear. Um, you could, of course, see a situ a scenario that the Arizona Coyotes had a few years ago with John Scott, where they put him on waivers but don't send him down. Uh, you know, they, they just put him on waivers to see if there's a team out there, see if there's a taker. And if there's no taker, then he'll he can still play for the Rangers, even if he clears waivers. There's no rule in the CBA that says he has to be sent down. Um, and he can still be traded. If he's not claimed, a team can acquire him maybe at 50% retained for $2.4 million, And they can start him on their taxi squad. Yeah. Because I- he has clear waivers at that point. I mean, yeah, that's true. I don't think that's a very likely scenario in regards to John Scott because it is like preempt president when those things happen. But again, it is important to weigh all those options because it's not out of the realm of possibility as of now at the time of recording this. But I want to go back to how you said how St. Louis would possibly make sense should they be able to acquire him or even uh, Columbus, Columbus as well. But going to St. Louis, I don't think that's a fit at all. Again, I could be wrong, but here's my reasoning as to why. Um, I've been talking to people as well, like through Twitter and just in my personal thoughts as to when Vince Dunn was really first put on the market and my idea as to what a type of trade package could be. Some people were like, maybe you do Tony and Vince, like one for one type thing or something similar. It wouldn't make sense for St. Louis because one, they are still tight on the cap. As we know, they have the LTIR, but that's only going to last so long. Two, they don't need another puck-moving defenseman because one of their biggest issues with Vince Dunn reportedly, which led him to being a healthy scratch and these trade talks starting, is because of his defensive game. It has been an issue to start the season, has not been consistent enough. They have their puck movers and not just Tori Krug, but Colin Pareko. And taking into account, they have a very promising up-and-coming puck-moving defenseman and Scott Perunovich. He spent the past couple years at the University of Minnesota Duluth, a really strong puck-moving defenseman that looks like he can be the future for the Blues. He's already with them on their taxi squad. He's been with the roster. I'm not sure if he's played a game yet with them this season, but he's a guy that will be with the team sooner rather than later as probably a mainstay. So because of that reason, it just does not add up to me why they would add another guy and Tony that at this point in his career is not stellar defensively as more of a power play quarterback. They're kind of they're kind of covered in that aspect. I know that they're in a win-down stage here, so you can make that argument to an extent for at least this upcoming year, but Blues do not make a lot of sense to me. Columbus could because Columbus, while they have had their defensive woes, they also had their offensive woes plenty of times. If you bring in Tony, there's your puck mover outside of having to bank on Zach Rensky and Seth Johnson every single night. Uh, Seth Jones, I should say, every single night. So if you bring in Tony, that gives you some more depth there in regards to having more offense on that blue line and just adds more pieces as a whole. Because if you look at the part ways with Ryan Murray as a salary dump to the Devils this offseason and Marcus Nudevara, again, it doesn't seem likely if Tony gets picked up, I think it'll be before it reaches Columbus, for instance, or St. Louis for that matter. But if he doesn't, then he doesn't. So again, just more hypothetical thinking here. And um, I think with saying that, are you fine if we kind of just segue for a little bit into further on Vince Dunn? Yeah, sure. And, and you know, the, the, the situation in St. Louis is an interesting one because, of course, they lost Alex Petrangelo there. You know, and, and yes, I know they have Colton Pareko and I know they have Justin Falk, but their right side, in my opinion, could definitely use something, uh, especially with Robert Bertuzzo on IR at the moment. They don't really have a right-handed defenseman that can, you know, that can add something to them aside from Colton Pareko and Justin Falk. So mm-hmm. depending on how bad the Bertuzzo injury is, uh, if the Rangers are indeed interested in Vince Dunn 
and they can work out a scenario where Brendan Smith would move to the right side, which is a side where he's comfortable playing defense. Uh, a, a Vince Dunn for D'Angelo with maybe some salary retained by the Rangers isn't really out of the realm of possibilities for me, in my opinion. Okay, yeah, again, that's fair. I'm not going to say that for certain this can or can't happen type thing. But again, I think there are fair arguments both for and against it. But getting on to Vince Dunn a little bit further, and here he's interesting because again, he only has a cap hit as of now. He's on that one year, $1.875 um, million deal because it's just short term. He doesn't have a long term future in St. Louis. That feels inevitable that he will be dealt sooner rather than later from what all the reports are indicating. And it's interesting from the Rangers side of things because granted, they don't have cap space. We know this. But in the situation of Tony, for instance, the Rangers could land. I firmly am under the belief they could get the type of package for Vince Dunn without it having to do with Tony in that sense, at least. Because with that type of cap, if you bring Vince Dunn in, you you should at least cut part ways with Jack Johnson, get rid of that $1 million at least um, to an extent. I don't know how much you would have to pay him, if anything, if you just seriously um, cut him and he clears through waivers. Um, but if you get rid of that contract as well, possibly get rid of someone else that is up depth for the Rangers currently, whether that's um, I don't even know to an extent who's currently on the roster. Um, Brendan Smith, I don't see them cutting away because of just how much he is a value in the locker room as well. I don't see that being sensible unless he's kind of dealt or just goes throughout his contract. But it's just it's a very head-scratching move overall between Tony and Vince Dunn. And you have to wonder if they are connected in some sense. But again, Vince is a solid defenseman. I think he has plenty of upside. I was really intrigued with him this past season. Blues fans obviously had their critiques on him and saying how he isn't necessarily the strongest defensively. His consistency has lacked. And it just feels like that that relationship as a whole has soured. Outside of just his play, there could be to an extent as to his play not looking stellar because of his current relationship with the Blues during in the offseason not getting a long-term deal done they only lock him in on that one-year deal because Dunn probably looks like the last guy that they were worrying about because of Petrangelo the entire time amongst some other players so what's your initial thoughts on Vince Dunn do you think the Rangers very well will go down the route for him there isn't any reported interest as of now but I do believe that we are going to find out within the next day or so that something is there if aside from the whole D'Angelo situation because I still think he will clear waivers because it's a big cap hit you know, that's the biggest issue. It is something that happened. Something must have happened. Something between him and a teammate, something between him and maybe an official, or maybe something between him and one of the coaches. Something must have happened that triggered this. It, it's not, it's, it's going to be nasty. It's not going to be pretty. I don't think D'Angelo is going to be picked off waivers, which means the Rangers don't have the cap space to go after Vince Dunn unless they send salary the other way. Now, who is a realistic player to be sent the other way that makes it worth it for St. Louis? Ryan Strom? I don't think so. That's um, fair. I mean, because of the fact that they have their defensive woes, you'd have to imagine that St. Louis isn't necessarily focused on all the future right now, even though what the reports originally indicated when these trades talks started to pick up that St. Louis asking price was a first-round pick. That would not mm-hmm. make sense for the Rangers, as we know. Definitely not this year. They're not parting ways with that first-round pick at this rate. Um, maybe a couple years down the line could be a somewhat of a scenario when we know the Rangers are going to probably be more of a consistent playoff team. But even then, that is a steep price for a guy that is being dealt more so on the Blues wine, get rid of him than him wanting to demand a trade similar to Dubois and Line situation. So I think when it comes to Dunn, a realistic asking price for him, and I've said this on the channel already, could very well be a like a Tarmo Ronanen, for instance, who's basically on the cusp 
uh, being a fringe NHL defenseman at this point in his career, and then also looking at one or two for uh, second round picks possibly in the upcoming drafts, because not this year, the Rangers don't have their second this year, from salary dumping Mark Stahl to the Detroit Red Wings. So um, I'm not, again, I'm not sold on that as of now, because the Blues are in a win-now stage, but they are asking for future things. That is something that I think could be somewhat realistic from the Rangers side of things. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, the Rangers can give up futures for Vince Dunn. That's not the problem. But salary has to go the other way, too. Yeah. It can't be just, just a futures thing. You cannot just trade a first-round pick in 2022 uh, for Vince Dunn because you just don't have the cap space to, to, to fit him under the cap. That's true. So something's got to give. And when you look at the Rangers, the players that have a cap hit that could make it work, uh, like, let's just say a cap hit between one and two million. Okay. A cap hit that's close to Vince Dunn's cap hit, um, which is not going to be Brandon Smith because it's 4.35. Uh, Jack Johnson at 1.1 million. Unless the Rangers retain anything. Could, could make sense. The Rangers could retain on Brandon Smith, but would the, would the Blues give up? Okay, they, 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 could, they could go for a first-round pick next year and then Brandon Smith at 50% retained. It's, it's, it's not impossible. Yeah. But... Every everyone else, I mean, you have Brandon Lemieux at one point five million on the books. Um, Lemieux wouldn't make sense. Uh, Lemieux wouldn't make any sense. Georgiev, and that's you. You run out of players that are in that same ballpark when it comes to the cap hit. So, if they go after Dunn, something creative needs to be done. Uh, no pun intended. Yeah, I was just gonna say that. Uh, but you know, look, there there are two different things going on here. I think the Rangers are definitely talking about Vince Dunn, just like a lot of other teams in the league are interested in Vince Dunn. Absolutely. I just I don't think Ranger fans should keep their should get their hopes up for a scenario where the Rangers are the team that have the most enticing offer. That's for fair. A yeah, no, I think that I think that's very fair, especially if you have say some more contending teams that are willing to part ways with their first for this year, basically giving the asking price knowing that's going to be a latter half of the first round type first. So that that is a fair argument there for sure. Again, this is all ticking time on type situation, but you know, very interesting in regards to the Vince Dunn sweepstakes. But uh before we segue basically hold and, on, hold on. I have one question for you. Go ahead. Which which one do you think is more realistic? The Angelo getting claimed or Dunn getting traded within the next twenty four hours? Hmm. Oh, okay. So done being on a 24 hour timeline. That's, that's interesting. That's a waiver timeline. Yeah. Hmm. So by noon tomorrow, which one will be the first to, to go D'Angelo or done? If I had to pick between the two, I would say Tony, just because there's no certainty that done will get dealt in the next day. There is certainty as to if we're going to find out a decision on Tony being claimed over the next day or not. That is CERN. So that's why I will pick Tony between the two. Not guaranteeing it's going to happen, but if I had to like bet the house which one would possibly be more sensible right now, I would say Tony being claimed. Okay. Uh, I mean, because Vince that's... might take another week at least. Who Like, it, it's soon, but what is, exactly is the time frame of, you know, soon? That happens with players all the time. It could take upwards of a month because they just couldn't get a deal done. Like, I don't know. Yeah. 
we'll see what happens. But um, yeah, I, I don't think the Rangers are a realistic destination for Vince Dunn. Okay, that's fair. Again, I, I have the pro, I believe in the pros and the cons of the situation. So if the Rangers do acquire him, I'll be satisfied about it. I like Vince Dunn's game. The Rangers don't acquire him, then I'll be like, okay, it makes sense as to why they didn't go down that route properly, or maybe they just didn't have the best asking price. Okay, so now getting into the Rangers here and their games review, because uh, we're going to take a decent look at least at their past three games here because they obviously are important the rangers like we said array won one one and one in the process and game six against the sabers in their first of the two games against the sabers they lose three to two game seven they win three two in overtime lafreniere ot winner amazing feeling i have the lafreniere jersey finally behind me and um and game eight uh for the Rangers last night, they lose in dramatic fashion. The Penguins five to four in overtime. They still cannot get over the hump of the Penguins. They real realistically could have won each and every one of those three matchups thus far, which is great to see. It's nice knowing that the Rangers have not been blown out by any single game this season since night one. So, what are your initial thoughts as kind of a cultivated with three these three games as a whole? If there's anything specific you want to break down from these three games, please go for it. Yeah, um, so the three games we played against the Penguins now, we've lost. But all three games, we took a, uh, we took a lead into the third period. Um, so we were, we were in it. We were, we were in the game. We, we had, a, had a chance to close it out. But personal mistakes like Chris Kreider taking a late penalty last night oh, at yep. the end of the second period that negated our power play. I know. if. <laughs> I'm going to say it. If Capo Caco does that, he doesn't play for, 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 for the rest of the game. You're right. I'm just but Chris Kreider does it, and it's fine. He's a top six player, so it's fine. The, the Rangers are in every game. You know, they, they are bottom of the division, which is somewhere where I expected them to be. I thought they might be above Buffalo or New Jersey at least, but the team has gotten off to a rough start. Their top six is not performing. Yes, Panarin is getting his points. I think he has eight or nine points in eight games. He's a lot getting of it's his on special teams, though. He's getting his points, but it's he's not carrying the team the way we saw him do it last season. Absolutely. And um, I was on a different show on Friday where they asked me what my expectations were, and I've said this to you as well. You know, my expectations were never for the Rangers to replicate their 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 performance last season. Yeah. Because their performance last season relied heavily on four players having career years. Having four players putting up career seasons in the same year is super rare already. What's even less likely to happen is for those four players to replicate that the following year, all four of them. You have Panarin, Zibanejad, Strom, D'Angelo. Well, D'Angelo we talked about already. He's, he's probably not going to get close to the performance he had last year. Um, Strom got off to a really, really slow start, even though he was playing with Panarin. And it's not Strom's fault. It's just the entire top six looks unprepared. And Zibanejad, you can clearly see he's still, still recovering from uh, uh, COVID. We all know he tested positive in Sweden. That's why he arrived in the United States late and he had to, had to quarantine for two weeks. So he missed all the practice, all the scrimmages, and he had to basically jump into game one with one day of practice. And you can tell, you can tell that that he missed that. He's he's just a little like, like he's a little slower than than all the other players on the ice. He just needs time. But the Rangers against the the Buffalo Sabers, they they had a chance to win that first game and they didn't. Um, the Sabers, I think, are very underrated, uh, underestimated by Ranger fans this season. 
They made some really good moves. They added Taylor Hall. They added Eric Stahl. They still had Jeff Skinner and Jack Eichel. That's a really good core of forwards you have up front. One that could probably rival the Rangers. If you have Eichel versus Panarin, you know, and then, and then you know, of course, we have Zibanejad, but they have Taylor Hall, and they have Strom and Bucinevich, but they have Stahl and, and, uh, and Skinner. It's a really good uh, part of their top six. You know, they're, they're all seasoned players. They know what it takes. And then on defense, Rasmus Dahlin is a year older. Rasmus Ristolainen is getting slightly better. And they have uh, Linus Ulmark in net, who won them the game against the Rangers, the first game on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. So I'm not surprised that we lost one game against them. But the second game, I think the Rangers were were definitely uh, the better team. And closing it out in, in overtime uh, was great. The fact that Lafreniere got his first goal, uh, just made it even sweeter. And I know uh, not a lot of words can be said, not a lot of nice things. Hold on. How do I say this? Not enough nice things can be said about Colin Black won his first three games. Let's put it that way. Uh, he assisted on Miller's first career goal. He assisted on Lafreniere's first career goal. And the moment Blackwell left the game with injury last night, the Rangers sort of looked lost again. Yep. Uh, Which and- is kind of telling that they it's, it's – a- it's a good and a bad thing. It's nice to see them that they have this confidence in Blackwell this early, seeing how well he's been doing. But at the same time, if they get that lost, it's like, okay, how much are you just banking on everything being perfect? If you have that but one imperfection in the lineup. If you factor on your team, you have serious issues. My point. Ex- exactly. And yeah. There's nothing against Blackwell. Blackwell is a really good bottom six player who can slot into a second line role if he has to in case of injuries. Kind of like Jesper Foss. I know, know, exactly. Do they Jesper feel Foss. that kind of similarity there? You, it leaves you wondering. Exactly. Jesper Foss is a really solid bottom six player who can slot into the top six on occasion when you have an injury or a suspension, and he doesn't look out of place. And same with Blackwell. He won't set the world on fire. He won't score a hat trick against the Penguins to, to, to win you the game, but he doesn't look out of place on a second line with Panarin and Strom. And I think that's... That's that's probably a big compliment to give to Colin Blackwell, who came over as an unrestricted free agent that has signed a two-year deal with the expansion draft in mind, of course. Um, but yeah, the Rangers, the finally, something started to click. I was really excited about Ke'Andre Miller this week. Oh, um, phenomenal. He's the first Rangers. I think he's among only three other Ranger defensemen in NHL history to have four points in his first eight games. I know, to see it. I tweeted about that last night. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's uh, James Patrick, Brian Leach, and Michael Del Zotto yeah. since 1979. Um, because unfortunately, the box scores on NHL.com only go back to 1979. So that's the only information I have to go on. So usually okay. my historic stats when it comes to individual performance is usually since 1979. And this is the reason why. Mm-hmm. But Andre Miller is having a great start to his NHL career. And... I'll be the first one to admit it. I did not see it coming. Neither did I, I, but that's a good feeling. And this has nothing to do with his performance in in, in Wisconsin in college. It's just that in in my experience, players that are drafted outside of the top 10, especially defensemen, always need a little bit longer to season. Guys like Roman Yossi, who was a second-round pick, didn't make the NHL until his his fourth season after being drafted. Other guys like Shea Weber and Keith Yandel and Matthias Ekholm, Really good defensemen didn't really get a get a shot until they were 21, 22 years old. And and Keandre Miller this season, if it would have started on time, 
he would have been 20. It's his D plus three season, meaning his third season after the draft. And no, I, I really did not expect him to even get a shot. And if he got a shot to be this dominant, but he's early on, Adam Fox was easily our best defenseman on the ice. But the last couple of games, I'll, I'm comfortable enough to say it was Keandre Miller ahead of Adam Fox. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I don't think that's a bad and, argument to give. It's a good it's a good problem to have when you have to basically go back and forth with two of your younger defensemen being the best on the team. It is. And and I really like the top two pairings, uh Lindgren with Fox and uh and Miller with Truba, even if they want to want to mix it up a bit. I really like Lindgren with Truba as well. And Miller Fox, even though it's a very young pairing, they seem to work well together. So I think the Rangers with their top four, um in the, you know, for this season at least, they're set. Um, it might not be a top four that would win them a cup this year, but for this season, I think they're set at the top four. Their bottom pairing is what they need to figure out now. Uh, but what's most important is that their top six starts playing the way we know they can. Um, the, the biggest issue for the Rangers is still the top six. Uh, Panarin, Zibanejad, Kreider, Strom, they're just, they're, they're not doing what we need them to do to be a competitive team, no. which I think has been our best forward yep. so far. Booch has been great. And I, and huge again, uh, I get it that we've had a lot of issues with DQ this season, no doubt, but I will commend him at least for this. He said going into the season. And again, he thinks Buchnevich would be the breakout player for the Rangers this year, at least taking another level into their game. And he has not skipped a beat. He's what's so great about Booch too, that I'm loving to see over the past couple of years is he is defensively responsible. He is a guy where I'm not worried too much, at least, with him on the forecheck and the backcheck. He's been one of the Rangers' better defensive forwards. He was the Rangers' arguably their second-best defensive forward last season outside of Jesper Fast. And now with Fast gone, it makes it even more pivotal for him to kind of embrace that role as a solid two-way forward in this top six. And he's looked really strong. I give hats off to Booch. He's becoming more of a complete player by the day, and I love to see it. You can tell that he has a better mentality, too. He just seems like he's having fun each night, even if the things don't go necessarily the Rangers way yeah and and uh, another player that I'm really uh, happy about this season I mean he's not setting the, the world on fire again but Capo Caco looks looks comfortable yep he doesn't look out of place in, on the second or third line um it's just there's something about his game this season that's different um and he, he has two goals uh the production itself aside from those goals is not really coming yet but um, I really like what he's shown so far. And I think if he, cause he's only 19, he's turning 20 next month, mm-hmm. uh, you know, give him time to develop and he'll be a really good player. If you look at other second overall picks like Sam Reinhardt, uh, Andre Sveshnikov, Tyler Sagan, they weren't really uh, game breaking talent no. at the same time. Sveshnikov, you can, you can make a case for, cause he's a pure goal scorer, yeah. but Kako is not a pure goal scorer. His, he has he offers much more than just goal scoring, and if you look at him closely during the games this season, the way he forces turnovers, the way he protects the puck in the corner, he doesn't shy away from puck battles on the boards. That's what we wanted to see last season, and I'm happy that it's happening this season. Yeah, no, it's great to see him comfortable, and I think hopefully as the season goes on, 
he'll obviously start to get the points up. And, you know, there's been some flack on DQ again because uh, prior to last night's game, he only played um, Kako like nine minutes in the Rangers win against the Sabres. And then when Quinn Quinn was asked, what is the reasoning going into how you give players ice time on a night-to-night basis, how it varies, Quinn said he he honestly didn't realize that, you know, Kako didn't play as much until after the game. And he basically talked to him and said that, you know, this is kind of a once in a blue moon type thing. It's not going to happen often. Again, it's not necessarily the thing you'll love to see from your head coach where he blatantly says, yeah, I didn't play the player enough. I don't know why. Maybe that's an indication that outside of special teams, you should probably be rolling these lines more consistently. Again, that's another reason because if you're if you're constantly changing up lines a bit and then you're keeping a guy out, you might get lost for a little bit if you see something clicking where you're having a guy basically playing double shift, you know, on multiple lines or whatever it's going to be. So um, outside of that, though, Kako's look really strong. I'm very happy with him. And getting back into these games a little bit further, going back to game six, it, just in my summary, the Rangers start off strong but then as soon as some goals were given up their way they lost a complete momentum they they only played i think one strong period if anything against that the sabers and it was just it was a very frustrating game if you ask me they looked more disoriented than um some other games earlier uh, previously leading into that buffalo game especially with the first one with heat allowed so it makes somewhat sense but they were just slow they looked two steps behind a lot and i was not loving it whatsoever and they were still very much in that game only losing three two well, then game seven, the OT game, you said it best. You know, that was just a tremendous game by the Rangers attacking Buffalo constantly. And even when they were giving up goals, they were still able to rebound. They still came together as a team. Laughing near the OT winner, that was magical. As we all, so many people are still raving about that, including myself. But that's going to help the Rangers going forward, game back in the win column. And realistically, they really should have won last night's game as well. But they just fell short against the Penguins in 5-4. Rangers were able to rebound every single time the Penguins scored, but it was kind of bad. It was a seesaw, especially in that, um, I'm trying to think it was the second or the third period where we were seeing bunch, but you know, it was, it was a good game for the Rangers. They had some flaws that were definitely shown once again against the Pens. And then Georgiev mm-hmm. clearly gave up, I would say a, a solid two goals where he should have had them. The Crosby goal, there was no one in front of him. That was Crosby just being Crosby and beating Georgiev one-on-one five-hole. So that goal, yeah. Georgie would have liked to have I want to quickly, quickly jump on that overtime last night, by the way. Yeah. Um, the reason Crosby was that open is because the Rangers unit was on the ice for over a minute. Oh, I'm aware. Yeah, they were slow. Yeah. They were they were, they were were pitched in their own zone. And sometimes, sometimes we just need to admit that a goal is not a mistake by the defense, but just good play by the offense. Yep. That redirect by Tanev in front of Georgiev, that's 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 not on Georgiev. Yeah, it oh, goes yeah. through his, but it's a redirect like like a yard in front of him. Yep. And the goal in overtime, I, I I'm not going to say that the Rangers should have gotten to the bench. It's overtime, it's the long change. You have to go all the way to the other zone. Oh, absolutely. To go, to go for a line change. That overtime goal by Crosby was not a no was not a fault, uh, was not a mistake by us. It was just really good hockey by the Penguins. And that needs to be said sometimes as well, because as fans, we tend to always look for a mistake that we made when we yep. get scored instead of just admiring how good the opponent played it. Because Always give credit where credit's due. That entire overtime sequence is the reason they won. Not just Crosby being left out in the open. No, they pinched us in, these, in the zone. It was Panarin. Definitely Panarin because he was gassed. And I don't know who the other two were. Wasn't Tony out there? Maybe D'Angelo and Zibanejad. Um So don't blame the players for being gassed out there. This was just a really good play by the Penguins. Pinching yeah. the range 
in the zone for over a minute while they get to go for a line change. Oh, yeah. Perfect. That was perfectly played. And I think, I think fans sometimes need to take a step back, look at the game, and just admit that the other team made a good play. And it's not always our fault when we get a goal against. Oh, yeah. No, I, I completely agree. I, you know, I, I always say that I give benefit of the doubt to other teams as well. Like, well, let's take game one against the Sabres, for instance. The Sabres outplay the Rangers in a lot of ways. Prior to, uh, let's take the Devils game against the Rangers as well. The Devils were the better team. The Rangers got a lot of sustained pressure, but the Devils were blocking shots left and right and was keeping them in the corners in the offensive zone. And then the Devils took advantage of the opportunities they had shortly after every time the Rangers scored. Jack Hughes' open ice takes full advantage of it. You know, that uh, kudos to them. You know, there's no doubting that. But we also, again, should be recognizing what the Rangers have done wrong. Was this an inevitable situation where it's like, all right, you can only do so much like that. Like Barzell, when he snipes on the Rangers in game one on glove, you say maybe Igor could have had that, but that was just a great goal. It was a beautiful in and out move on Tony, no less. And then it goes glove on Igor. So again, there's always going to be that respect factor. I completely agree. We shouldn't believe that the Rangers single-handedly should have won each and every game. They could have, they very well could have. But because yeah. they didn't, there are strong reasons for them. Sometimes it's the Rangers' fault on their mishaps defensively and offensively, and then others, it's just a really good goal. And there's also this lack of familiarity with other teams' players sometimes. Yeah. Like, I, I have a feeling that that fans of other teams don't realize how good someone like Sebastian Ajo is or or Matt Barzal or, you know, They're unless... fantastic players. There's no doubt that. Are like Connor McDavid or Sidney Crosby or Evgeny Malkin, players who have been in the league for years, Austin Matthews, who have torn it up, who have won individual awards, fans usually tend to think that, oh, this defenseman should have had it or the goalie should have had it. But when you play against Carolina Hurricanes, when they have Svechnikov on the wing and Aho in the middle. And don't, and don't underestimate Teravainen. He's so Tara underrated. Teravainen on the opposite side. When you go up against that line, I remember in the qualifying round, yeah, D'Angelo was, you know, like Aho just walked past him as if he wasn't there. Was it a bad play by D'Angelo? Well, maybe it was just a really good play by Aho. He was also so, hurt. It, it goes both ways. I think there are a lot of factors that went. I think even if Tony wasn't hurt, Aho very well could have gone around him. But Tony was hurt in that game. So take that into yeah. account, too. And and we've seen it too. You know, we've seen it the other way around, where where Panarin against the Buffalo Sabers last season uh, steals the puck from Rasmus Dahlin, a first overall pick yep. a, a few years ago, and he has a breakaway and he scores. Yep. Then we say really good play by uh, by Artemi Panarin. I didn't hear a Ranger fan complaining about how Dahlin gave that up. Yep. So sometimes we just need to take a step back and go, okay, that was a really good play by. Crosby or whatever. Yeah, no, I I completely agree. I really do. It's it's easy to overlook that at times when you have that bias because you're just like, all right, my team should be winning. How the hell did they not just win that? They blew it type thing. When in reality, you should try to look at everything 50-50 to an extent. So I love that. But getting on now, I think we can take it a little bit further, if you don't mind, with the Rangers and their goaltending situation. Because there's been a lot of criticism going around with the Rangers and Quinn basically doing the same thing with the lines to an extent with the goaltending. Where even when Igor comes off of a strong win against the Sabres, he didn't have too much pressure on him, but he made some big saves when he had to. Um, he is still out this past night against the Penguins. Georgie's back in. And again, Gurjev didn't look stellar. He wasn't terrible, but... 
things could have been different possibly if Eero was in there. You're always going to have that belief. So what are your initial thoughts on that and this kind of, you know, rotating door constantly between Georgiev and Igor? Um, because normally when you have Igor, who is realistically um, viewed by many, including ourselves, as the number one goaltender for the Rangers, even with Georgie being a solid backup, you would imagine that maybe early in the season you want to give Igor a little bit more of a structure in his game, kind of at least get him a couple back-to-back nights again on a groove of things. So what's your thoughts on that? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not a fan of the, the, the tandem for goalies unless there's no clear number one. Yep. Uh, for me, there's a clear number one, and that's Chess Shurkin. He's the better goalie. Um, you know, he played in the KHL for many years. He was the best goalie in the KHL. He was, I think, five saves away in a full season from breaking the save percentage record in the Russian league. Um, Kurogev is a really good, a really good backup for the Rangers. Could could be a really good starter elsewhere, just like we've seen with Cam Talbot and Antti Ante Ranta in the past. But when he's on the Rangers with Igor Shesturkin, there needs to be a clear number one because. There's, there's there's no system now. The, the system is, okay, Georgiev played last night, so yeah, tomorrow it's going to be Shesturkin. Uh, and then the following game is going to be Georgiev again. There's 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 no... There, goalies cannot build on their performance. If, if, a, if a goalie gets a shutout, he cannot build on it because he's going to sit on the bench the next game. It makes no sense to me. Yeah, you know, I agree. I think you need to at least bring in the confidence factor a little bit. Because, uh, granted, these guys are mature. They are still professional athletes at the end of the day. They shouldn't hang their head too much. But especially when you're young in the league, like Igor, who hasn't even gotten really his feet too wet in the NHL, you know, he hasn't played a full season. If he comes off of a strong win against Buffalo, in my mind, you should start him at least against the Penguins. And then, look, if things, I think regardless if he wins or loses that game, you should still start him game three. At least give him a couple games in a row to kind of build something there. So I don't like that lack of structure on Quinn's part. I've never liked it. We've seen, you know, the change in lines more than ever this season versus prior years. If my memory's not mistaken. To start off a year especially, they have just been everywhere. And it leaves you wondering, and I think this is a perfect way to kind of re- conclude our discussion on the recap of the games before we basically do a quick preview of the next, the following week of games, is that could Jesper Fast really have had that much of an effect on the Rangers to the point of now with himself out of the lineup, the Rangers have been trying to look for his replacement. What are your thoughts on Fast? Because he, as we know, didn't just affect the team in that top six on Bredman's line, really balancing things with having Fast be the guy to get in the dirty areas, kind of helping Strom become a better player defensively and Panarin doing his best, not having to worry as much defensively on the line. And two, Fast being arguably your best winner, definitely your best winner on penalty kill at that point in time for numerous years, a big locker room guy, not just him, but and Hank out of the locker room. So what are your thoughts on Fast? Because I have a feeling at this point is kind of telling that that could have very well factored into certain things with the Rangers with their lack of success early in the season. And also with Quinn looking for answers, knowing he doesn't have as much security as what he once did when Fast was in that top six. Yeah, I think Jesper Fast's uh, problem was never the player he is or what he could be for the Rangers, but more the contract he was looking for. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there's uh, no doubt Fast signed a three-year deal with Carolina. The Rangers the didn't Rangers, want to go three. The Rangers just don't have the cap space uh, to to make that type of commitment for a player that Jesper Fast is. Because in 2022, you have Adam Fox and Capo Caco coming off the books of their entry-level contracts. This summer, you have Shesh Jorkin coming off his entry-level contract. 2023, which is the year um, 
Yes, for Fast Deal would end, you have Lafreniere come out of his contract. But before that, you already have three really good young players that that will take up a large chunk of your of your of your salary cap. I think about Zabanjad too. And of course, there's a Zabanjad. I think. Look, what sealed and Heedle. a lot of players' faith uh, faith is uh, the Kreider extension. Yeah. Uh, and you know, we've talked. You and you and I have talked about this before. I was very much against the Kreider extension on the day it was announced. Yeah. It was the same day they uh, informed us about the car accident with Butchnevich and Shostjorkin. And as bad as that was, I think the I, I, I after watching that whole press conference, I just kept thinking, okay, you know, if it was really, I'm pretty sure they'll recover, but the Rangers are going to be stuck with Kreider for the next seven years at 7 million. Um, And I don't know, when you already have Truba on the books for 8 million a year, Panarin for 11.6 million a year, and you have all these players coming off their entry-level contracts, you have Zibanejad where you have to make a decision in two years. The Kreider extension just never made sense for for me from the start. And the Rangers are going to have a tough time, you know, maneuvering around the cap with Truba and Kreider on the books for for at least the next six years. Because uh, Truba only has six years left, of course. And I think that could very well be telling of, you know, how much critique should we put on Gordon and management over these next couple of years? Because just as much as they're going to be important on David Quinn, assuming he's still head coach after the season, right? Same thing goes with Gordon. Because while they have made some strong moves with this rebuild, no doubt, they've done a lot of stellar things that, in my mind, have definitely helped this roster for long-term success. We do need to critique them on things that definitely look like they're somewhat of a head-scratcher. Kreider from the forefront is one of those things where I think you do need a guy of Kreider's caliber. You can't have the entire lineup being younger to an extent. Kreider is the longest reigning Ranger currently in this roster, if my memory isn't mistaken. And he is a guy that can still be effective for you, definitely, in your top six, if not top nine, right? Because he's been on the third line as of late because he's lacked in production consistently, which is what Kreider is very well known for. You know, I've, I've always been a huge Kreider fan since he got called up by the Rangers in the playoffs, but... Kreider's a guy where he'll have a hot streak, then he'll have a cold streak, a hot streak, then a cold streak. There's never been that you're never guaranteed exactly that you're going to get 20 plus goals win a season. You can hope that you're going to get around that range, maybe more, but it's those spans that really become overwhelming at times and are most likely only, only going to become more worrisome as he gets older. So a seven-year deal, I get it. There are definitely some causes for concern there. It's going to put the Rangers in a tight bind because I do believe he has either no move or no trade, uh, no trade, um, type of clauses on his actual contract for multiple years not every year but multiple years and that could have the same things for the rangers it's in my mind it was very similar to me to an extent of the islanders and their contract with anders lee lee's their captain in my mind i think uh, Kreider is the unofficial captain for the rangers i felt you know it's either between him or Zabanjad, perfect arguments for both i've always felt that Kreider, in a lot of senses could be a very good uh, captain for the rangers but in doing so even with callahan to an extent he's a guy that's going to be between the second and third line for the next couple of years of his career with the rangers so i um i i love Kreider. i think there's so much pros to what he brings on a nightly basis but again the inconsistencies are very worrisome and it does leave you wondering if that continues to trend possibly downward and the rangers do have these big young players including their biggest name and Zbanjad, who even though he hasn't been great yet did not have a good game yesterday to put it lightly um, you have to look at things 50-50 here and how we address it as fans between management and the player because it, you know, there have there have been some poor mistakes. We know this. Nothing has been perfect with the Rangers since they started this rebuild. Yeah. 
No, true, true. And yeah, you should criticize Gordon for the mistakes he's made. Like like the Crider extension was a mistake. Brendan Smith yeah. was the first one, in my opinion. I never yeah. I never well, loved that contract. I will maintain that for years it was it was a bad decision to sign him to an extension. Um I was a bit surprised that John Davidson was the one making the announcement because he's not the general manager, but whatever. Um, I think when you when you look at the rebuild as a whole, I think the good still outweighed the bad, but there are some decisions that are half scratchers. Um, and yeah, we can talk about David Quinn all we want, but David Quinn is a coach that was hired by Jeff Gordon, so ultimately that's also on him. Yep. I'm a big fan of Jeff Gordon, but you know, call I it too. call it the way I see it. Uh, David Quinn, while I don't think he is as bad as some fans make him out to be, I don't think he's the problem. In my opinion, he's certainly not part of the solution. So, As of now, I would agree. He, he, he comes off as very much the type of coach that's like hoping that he helps with the Rangers in this rebuild. But as they become more of a you know consistent playoff contender, then you could see him on the way out. As of now, where you put in a more established guy that knows how to have proper structure. It's just a lot of small things that he's done over the last two and a half years that really rubbed me the wrong way. Yeah. Um, I know a lot of fans love the whole rabbit ears sequence <laughs> in Edmonton on New yeah, Year's Eve. We've addressed before, I know, but that is on him too. When you put your team on the PK, I don't care how funny it is. It's bad. It's bad. It was a bad thing to do. Um, when he admits uh, yesterday in a press conference that Kako didn't play less than 10 minutes, because he lost him on the bench. Sorry. How do you lose your your team's top prospect or you know top two prospect on the bench? How does that happen? That's where an experience comes in. And oh, it's, it, it is. He yeah. is an experience. When, when things don't work, he changes everything on the fly. You know, line oh, changes absolutely. happen like before the first period's even over. Um, on the other hand, the power play, I don't know why, but he likes to stick to this power play with four uh-huh. right-handed shooters. Like it's like it's some miracle thing that it, it doesn't work. It doesn't you know, work. Play doesn't work for the Rangers. So on the one hand, he changes the lines every five minutes, but the power plays he hasn't touched in weeks. It should be reversed. If anything, that's how it, it should, should be. It shouldn't be reversed. It should be you know it should, it should, both should be consistent. A little, a little bit more you know it should be. Uh, Fewer line changes and the power play, you should at least change it up a little bit. I agree because you're getting yeah. these guys too gas, especially if you have yeah. upwards of five power plays a game. Like, come on, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you have two extremes here, and neither are working. It, it, he needs to be more of a gray area type of guy. He's very black and white. Oh, very, yeah. And it, yep. And it just feels like when when he gets asked a critical question, which in my opinion doesn't happen enough because. I know why reporters don't because, you know, they, they don't want to lose their credentials, et cetera. But someone asked him about face-offs and he's like, oh, face-offs are not important. I think face-offs are important when your team hasn't had a face-off percentage above 50 since 2008, 2009. Did he actually say that? It, 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 he, he said that the way face-off wins are measured uh, it isn't as important of a factor as maybe the eye will tell you something along those lines as people make it out to be okay 
Well, if you look at the Penguins game yesterday, faceoffs uh, are incredibly important. I don't care what anyone says. This has been one of the biggest issues for the Rangers for literally the past decade. This is nothing new. One of the biggest issues with the Rangers. Look, look at Derek Stepan. There was a belief that maybe okay he could be that first line center, but even when he was, what was one of his biggest gripes outside of his inconsistencies was his faceoffs. You know, like it just it drives me nuts in regards to the faceoff argument because at the end of the day, it gives your team a better chance to have something happen, especially if you're constantly in the um, offensive side of the zone when there's icing is happening late in the game. When well, we've seen with the Rangers this year, and then they lose every damn faceoff and it keeps going and going and going. Time's yeah. um, coming off the clock. You need those possession numbers to go up. The only way you do that in that scenario is winning those faceoffs. It's very yeah. frustrating. If a decision, if something happens within the first 10 seconds after a power play, that power play is in, or, or that face off, then that face off is important, whether it's a penalty or a goal or whatever. They're if absolutely happens, important. Then the first 10 seconds, then that face off is important. And the Rangers are losing too many face offs that lead to, uh, to, to game deciding moments like goals or penalties. And when you look at Derek Stepan, um, and I like Derek Stepan. But yeah, yeah, no ill will against Step. Yeah. All the players that have taken over 10,000 faceoffs in their careers, Stepan ranks second worst all time in faceoff percentage. The only person that has a lower faceoff percentage after 10,000 faceoffs is Mike Ribeiro. Wow. And it's not just Stepan, it's not just Zibanejad, it's not just Kevin Hayes. And like I said, the Rangers have had this problem for over a decade now. The Rangers have not ranked over 50% on faceoffs as a team since 2008 to 2009. That's ridiculous. That is ridiculous. So something needs to change because you, you cannot, and, and I know we got to a Stanley Cup final with, with bad faceoffs, but, you know, it's that's that's sort of the exception, not really the way to get there. And it's more than just centers too, and that was what um you know um Zvanjad and others was weighing to saying how you know especially you got to try and tie him up if you don't feel confident that you're going to land him one on one, try tie him up as much as you can, and then the team as a full effort needs to get in there and try and drop it back to the defense. Yeah, I, like, face I'm, off. I, I understand that. Face off wins are not just on the center, but. It does help when you win a face-off clean, which I, I, I honestly don't remember that happening too often for a Ranger, where where the Ranger center on the face-off wins it clean and it goes straight back to the defenseman. It just, in my opinion, for my from my memory, that doesn't happen often enough. Can we take a moment just um, to look at some of, you know, not to get on a tangent here about face-offs, but, you know, one of my favorite players has always been outside of the Rangers has been Patrice Bergeron. One of the main reasons for that is not just because of how stellar he is as a amazing two-way forward, but it's because of his capability and face-offs especially. You know, he's been stellar. He's been among the best in the league. If you look at Sean Couturier, he's another really solid guy for the Flyers as well. If you look at all these other guys in the NHL in regards to face-offs, normally Ryan O'Reilly too. He's really strong on face-offs. Guys that normally are one of the better ones in all the league, or at least above average, can get at least past 50% those teams have a higher likelihood usually of having good playoff success. They definitely go in hand with each other. And, you know, you need those kind of guys, not just in your bottom six, but if you can try to have them pretty balanced, at least three of your four to, uh, three of your four centermen, then bam, things are cooking. So, yeah, I think that it's a structured thing from the Rangers side of things. Even without the, with the previous regimes that we've had, 
the one biggest gripe I can say outside of a lot of other things is the face-offs. They have not prioritized it nearly enough, in my opinion, even though that I've seen plenty of stuff. I'm sure that they have worked religiously, but push has to, um, you have to, you know, push has to shove after a certain amount of time. When you're like, okay, if this isn't working for this long, what do you do next? You have to do some type of approach, in my mind, that is more demanding and is going to be better for the team in the long run in addressing it. So here, here's a question. If you practice face-off against someone else who's also not good at face-offs, do you, do you both improve or do you both stay at the same level? I think you're at the same level. It's just the lesser of two evils. Yeah. And, yeah. and we know Bergeron is one of the best centers when it comes to face-offs. And he's on a team with David Krejci, who I think – I haven't looked at his numbers, but from Krejci's my – Krejci's solid too, if my memory is not mistaken. He's pretty solid too. Yeah. So when a young center comes onto their team, they practice face-offs against Bergeron and Krejci. I mean, <laughs> it's when, – when a young center goes to the Penguins, he practiced face-offs against Crosby and Malkin. I know Malkin is probably not the greatest at face-offs, but – you know, and and when the Rangers have a young center, I think Brad Howden is their is their best one when it comes to faceoffs. This is where the argument for having a certain amount of veterans on your line is in your roster is crucial. There was reports that the Rangers could possibly seek out the idea of bringing back Brian Boyle going into the season right before it started. If there's one thing that we can say about Brian Boyle, he does bring you some structure and obviously veteran leadership on that fourth line, but the guy knows how to win faceoffs. Just as a prime example, when I think of the best Rangers centerman over the past decade that actually won faceoffs over 50%, Brian Boyle has always been one of those standouts to me. You know, uh, he's not a st- he's nothing crazy. Don't get me wrong. He is what he is, but he wins faceoffs, and that's a perfect example in practice. Be like, all right, everyone match up against Boyle and see how you do if he's the best mm-hmm. on the team. So yeah, yeah, and, and it, look, the Rangers need to do something, and and uh, magically, look, fixing the faceoffs is not magically going to make us a contender because we're not there yet. Mm-hmm. And someone someone asked me today on Twitter why I posted a tankathon draft lottery oh yeah but this is what i like to do you know i follow prospects so tankathon is some is a is a a a website that i go to at least three times a week and i just like to do the 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 draft lottery sim and see what player we end up with and then just talk a little bit about that player i wouldn't be surprised if the rangers end up with a top five pick do i want them to well no i don't know i would prefer to be a little bit closer to the playoffs but I never expected the Rangers to compete this year. So we're still a work in progress. And, you know, if D'Angelo is gone, it opens up a spot for Lundqvist at least. So next season makes it a little bit easier for that transition. That's fair. Again, that is, that is true. We don't know what's going to happen with Tony D yet, if he's even going to claim or not. And this is a short-term thing. For all we know, he could be put on waivers right now and there could be a solid reasoning for it. And then he comes back in the lab. Again, at the time of recording this, we just simply don't know. But exactly. I... I think before we kind of wrap up things here, I want to ask just your brief recap on what do you think is the expectations for the Rangers heading into uh, next week's games with us Uh, not knowing the certainty on Tony, among other things. Yeah. Um, So let me look up who we're playing. We're playing the Penguins on Monday. Yep. And then, oh, we're playing the Capitals for the first time on Thursday. That's going to be a doozy. And then, oh, we have an early game on Saturday. Oh, I can watch it during normal hours. I'm so happy. (laughs) <laughs> 1 p.m. for you guys on Saturday. Yeah. Um, so two home games. I think we're going to – oh, tough one. Yeah, I, that's, I'm going to go with 0-2-1-1. 
Oh, two and one. All right, you heard it here, folks, from Stat Boy Steven himself. All right, if I had to make a prediction, I would, you know, I almost have a gut feeling that I should go the route you went this past week, one, one, and one. Um, you know, that's just with some optimism. Again, time will tell on this one. It's going to be a tough week for the Rangers ahead. We know this. Uh, let's not forget Blackwell's out for at least a week. He oh, yes. Stay. Yep, he is. He is going to be out for a little bit, which, again, might not seem like a huge deal, but for a Rangers team that was finally looking like they were turning the page and Colin Blackwell actually being a decent part in that, you know, that is going to be another issue. Julian Gauthier looks like he'll probably be back in the lineup, which I am in favor for. I do want to see Gauthier back in this lineup. I think that he has plenty to give, and he hasn't been necessarily given the benefit of the doubt, but that same argument was said with Leah Sanderson during his time with the Rangers the past year and stuff, and then look what happened. So uh, yeah. I understand Coach's decisions behind things. I'm just excited to see Gauthier in the lineup and hopefully get at least 10 minutes a game. I want to see how he's doing. Okay. Uh, if you don't mind, I have one request for people listening or watching. Oh, by all means. This is our show. <laughs> if anyone can help me uh, acquire some pictures or video footage of the warm-ups uh, before Brian Leach's retirement night back in 2008, that would be greatly appreciated. Um, my girlfriend acquired uh, Brendan Dubinsky's warm-up jersey from that game. And I'm just trying to get some either a photo or video of him wearing the warm-up jersey to uh, to match with it, so I can so I can help her frame it. So if someone has any old footage from the the warm-ups that game, uh, please reach out to me on Twitter. Okay, yeah, no, we'll definitely try to get that for you. That'd be awesome. I don't blame you for trying to seek that out either. Smart. But all right, so Stephen, I think we have the nail on the head with everything. This was an over hour long episode, and as it should, it definitely could have went a lot longer just from Tony's situation alone. We have lots to unfold on that over the next day or so too. So again, this was great as always. Thank you all so much for watching. It means a lot. And Stephen, uh, please leave us your handles as always before we let you get out of here, and then I'll do the same for anyone that's interested in checking me out on other things. Yep. On um, Twitter, you can follow me at Stepboy underscore Stephen. Uh, in the bio, you can find the link to my podcast under review, which is now where I will upload these uh, episodes as well. So, Awesome. Yeah, no, thank you all again, guys. You can check me out, Wordy NHL on Twitter, should you interact with me there. I'm usually on Twitter each day um, for good parts of the day. So if you want to check it out, by all means. But thank you again, Steven, and let's go Rangers. Let's go Rangers.